Well, it is great to be back. We, uh, for vacation, we were in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, uh, and it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It was just full of trees. Um, we decided to make the journey home in one day from Tennessee to Chicago. So in order to make the journey, we started while it was still dark, while the family was still a little sleepy, and just tried to make as much progress in those early morning hours. One of the challenges that I found of early morning driving in the mountains is the ground fog. And maybe you've encountered this yourself. The ground fog was sort of like in the road. It was sort of like obscuring our uh, visibility as we made our way up the mountain and around all these hairpin turns. But as the sun came up later in the morning, it seemed to sort of burn off the ground fog. After the fog had burned off, I looked to my left and I could see this incredibly gorgeous view of just how far we've come, like way deep in the valley. It was lush and it was just vast. And I was encouraged, like, wow, we've, we've come a long way and it's only 8.30. Um, I also saw something else, which was the steep grade of road ahead of us. Like, we still had miles to go, and it was uphill. And when the fog burned away, I could see that a lot more clearly. So, for me as your pastor, the multiple crises of the last five months, especially COVID-19, have been like that morning sun, which has burned off the ground fog, and just helped me see, in part, how far we've come as a church in the last eight years. I've come to see that this is a remarkable group of people, a remarkable people of God. I've seen resilience from this church uh, that I didn't even know was there. Resilience to continue to love God and love neighbor, to show great, uh, like, provocative compassion and generosity to God God and to neighbor. Um, And uh, I've seen amazing love towards one another in these last five months. Uh, So as I think about where we've come from the last eight years when we barely existed as a small group of people to like where we've come from or where we've come to as a thriving spiritual beacon church, I'm really proud of our church. And it's been the crisis that has revealed that. I think what has also come clear to me is just what is the road ahead for us to grow into our calling so that we can better live our mission as a spiritual beacon church. There have been some things that have become uh, just more clear to me. And uh, the road ahead, I believe, for us, the uphill road ahead for us is this, um, to learn how to love God and our whole being, with our whole being, and loving others as ourselves. To put a finer point on it, We need Jesus to transform comfortable, passive forms of love into his concrete, passionate forms of love. A spiritual beacon church is not primarily a building or a series of good programs. It's not a larger version of what we already do. A spiritual beacon church that makes the gospel visible and tangible for the people of Chicago is a community marked by remarkable, uncomfortable love for God and neighbor. And as I've said, uh, we've come a long way in learning how to do this together. Um, 
and yet I'm struck by some lingering habits of passivity and comfort seeking in our love, our love for God and our love for our neighbor. Um, these habits are what stand between us and the call that the Lord Jesus has on our church. These habits stand between where we are now and the kind of church that we are going to become, which is marked by radical, amazing, supernatural love for God and neighbor. And so if we're going to get there, we need to follow Jesus on that uphill road that he's calling us down. This is the road of less talk and more action, less spiritual consumption and more spiritual contribution from each member, less collecting with our familiar friends, and more being sent uh, to our neighbors and including the stranger. The love of Christ is not a sentiment. The love of Christ sweats. The love of Christ schedules. The love of Christ shows up. And we've got to learn how to do that as Jesus calls us to. We need Jesus to patiently, lovingly guide us up that hill where he will apprentice us in the way of love. He has everything we need to become a spiritual beacon church. So we're going to observe him modeling the kinds of behaviors we need to learn ourselves um, in one of the most memorable conversations recorded in his biography of the book of Mark. So I invite you to turn to Mark 12. Mark 12, and we're looking at uh, verses 28 through 34. If you have a Bible, grab it. Um, and um, we're going to look at love for God, love for neighbor. So let me read verse 28 through 30. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. This is the, the Pharisees disputing with Jesus and Jesus basically owning them. Uh, so seeing that Jesus answered them well, in other words, owning them, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The first commandment, man, the Lord is one, love him with everything you have, soul, mind, strength, heart. This exchange took place in the very first Holy Week. This is the first ever Holy Week in history. Uh, Jesus made an uphill climb into Holy Week. Uh, it was into Jerusalem. He went into Jerusalem to die outside of its gates a week later. And he had trained his whole life for this week. Out of love for God and neighbor, he did many hard things in the very first Holy Week ever. He left his family, his home, and his family business to fulfill his mission. He reformed the temple in that first Holy Week, upsetting a lot of powerful people. He kept an all-night prayer vigil where he sweat uh, drops of blood. He was betrayed and abandoned by people very close to him. He endured public humiliation and legal condemnation by the ruling elite. And then he carried the sins of the world in his very body on the cross, enduring spiritual torment unknown to any other human before or since. He was raised to life and then spent 
his resurrection time encouraging and forgiving everyone who had abandoned him, everyone who had lost hope. So listen, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for that week. And then he spent three immersive years training his disciples to get ready for that week. Apprenticing them, how do you love God and how do you love neighbor with your whole heart? So Jesus is a man who knows how to love. And here in this passage, Jesus is teaching a scribe about it. Like, this is what's most important to me. This is what should be most important to you. Of all of the hundreds of commandments, like 600 plus commandments from the Old Testament, Jesus names the most important one as, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting from Deuteronomy, Moses' sermon to the Israelites. Um, So the heart we can understand as the seat of affections. Like, what do we really love? What do we really set our affections on? The soul is kind of the seat of our intentions, the part of us that says yes or no to relationships or initiatives that come our way. The mind is that creativity, that thinking, the problem-solving part that we have to use all the time. And then our strength is our hands and our feet and our physical energy and... um, every system in our body. So to put this to the test, imagine that you are out on a first date and across the table from the, uh, uh, across the table from you is a person who is attractive, fun to be with, makes you laugh and just totally intriguing. They just enchant you. And so you're like, how do I turn this first date into a second date and a third date and beyond? Well, you use your will, you use your, your, uh, your soul, the part of you that can say yes or no, that you say to yourself, okay, despite the risks, I want this person to be an important part of my life. So you, you say yes to this person, even though it's just inside of you to start. And then you start putting your mind to work. You, you ask yourself and them the question, what do they care about? What bugs them? What excites them? How do they experience care and love from from another person? And then when they answer you, you jot down their answers either in your mind or maybe discreetly on a piece of paper so that you can remember uh, for later. Probably don't write it down on a piece of paper. Probably just remember it. Um, And then you put in some strength, some creative effort. You take concrete action using real dollars and real plans to, let's say they like flowers, buy them flowers, let's say they like surprises, you surprise them with the flowers. Um, And it's not like a one-time situation. If you love the person, you will unlearn all of your bad habits that you think are loving, and you will figure out how they experience love and begin to do those things instead. Like, for instance, if if they're moving apartments, Like, you're going to be the first person to cancel your fun Saturday plans and show up and help them move their couch. So, in short, love is an uphill journey to a place of genuine connection with the beloved. Love takes wholehearted intention and sweat and focus and sacrifice, but the relationship is the reward. It's like you get the person. Their presence in your life their reciprocated love towards you. 
it never stops being uphill until either one of two things happens. Either the relationship dies or one of the people in the relationship dies. As long as the relationship is alive, it involves our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. All right? So here's what COVID-19 has helped me see. It's helped me see this, that over the last eight years, our wholehearted love for God um, became admirably expressed in our Sunday morning gatherings. Worship, intercession, prayer, uh, just a, it was a really rich time there in the Kiva. And that was good. And also, our relationship with God, our love for him became too Sunday worship service dependent. That it was great to have once a week where we were really encouraged by the liturgy and the presence of other people and the worship and the sermons and the art. That's all good. These are all gifts of God. And yet those are a lousy substitute for continuing to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what should always be somewhat of an uphill journey became somewhat of a downhill glide. Um, so I love that we love to worship and pray together, and I can't wait to do that again. In fact, we have some plans to, in September, have an appropriately sanitized and socially distanced worship service. You and I know that it won't be the same. So it's not going to be like it was before. I, I can guarantee you that. So, but we're going we're gonna to gather again, and when we're beyond COVID, boy, are we going to gather, and boy, are we going to worship again. Nevertheless, some of that energy that we were putting into Sundays, we are transferring to discipleship so that none of us who want to grow in our love for God are only being passive with it and having a once-a-week shot in the arm that we're actually all learning Monday through Saturday to become self-feeders who love God with all of our week and not just a once-a-week date, but a whole lifestyle of love. Um, so I'm really excited about a new confirmation course that we're putting together to train you in how to do this called Strengthened by the Spirit. And it is designed to take our relationship with God, our love for God deeper into more maturity into greater, uh, into greater longevity. We're going to discover how to, how do you read the Bible on your own? Um, and we're also, we're going to learn how to pray through the Book of Common Prayer on your own. Like, when you can't just receive a bulletin, how do you take the Book of Common Prayer? This is brand new. Well, it's updated 2019. We're going to learn this together this year so that you can lead a service in your own apartment building. We're going to learn how to pray together. We're going to learn how to grow up in the sacramental life together. Receiving God's fire and bearing fruit in his name. So for all of us, whether or not you take that course, um, I think that if we're going to grow in our love for God, it's going to start with imitating the scribe in this text. All right? What do we see the scribe doing in this text? Well, he makes space for Jesus to talk to him. And then when Jesus talks, he listens um, and even repeats back what Jesus said in his own words, which is a 
very important skill if you want to learn how to love someone else, starting with God. You make space, you have margin to listen, to give them your wholehearted personal attention, and then when they talk about what's important to them, you listen, you take notes if it's not an awkward thing, and then you act on it. So um, we can do this. We can make space for God to speak to us. Um, We can say, Jesus, what is important to your Father? Would you just tell me? Help me grow in my relationship with God. And then you listen. You listen with an open heart. You listen with an open Bible. And then you repeat back what Jesus is saying to him and then to someone else that you trust as a spiritual companion in your life. Ask them to pray for you. Can you imagine Emmanuel Anglican Church filled with people who have, in the normal course of their life, have made enough margin in their life to really learn how to love God and really learn how to, lo- to be loved by him. Where you walk into the church, you just get this sense of like the thickness of God's presence, the overwhelming joy of God's presence. Can you imagine people saying, the time I spent at Emmanuel Anglican Church, it was such a loving community, and I was so filled with the love of God, I will never be the same. Um, Can you imagine us becoming people whose love for God permeates our life and just radiates from our community and radiates from our homes? That is our call. That's our future together. Eventually, I believe that will be said of our church if we apprentice ourselves to Jesus. That's a little bit about love for God. We have a journey together in that. But that's from today's teaching. That's a little bit of, of what it means to love God. Secondly, Jesus is going to call us to love our neighbor. So um, Jesus says, he just follows that right up with uh, verse 31. The second greatest commandment is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribe repeating back says to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, God is one, and that there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. I I have to say, I really love the scribe's response because he's drawing from maybe two to four different scriptures, not only Deuteronomy, but like 1 Samuel and uh, one of the minor prophets. And he's like, a light bulb is going on in his head. And he's like, oh my goodness, the whole sacrificial system like doing that perfectly, being a really um, like great religious person can't compare with like truly loving God and neighbor. Um, so um, I think that most people in Emmanuel would agree with that. Is it better to love God and neighbor than being a good religious person? Of course. Even most people in Chicago, like just take the love for neighbor part. Is it better to love neighbor than to be a good religious person who follows all the rules? Oh, of course. Of course love is one of the greatest commandments. This is where we're very much in sync with our, with our culture. So um, in the Midwest, however, sometimes love, love for neighbor, love your neighbor, love gets conflated with being nice and polite to people, right? 
Love is like occasional kindness and goodwill, um, especially to people who are kind to you. Hello, neighbor. I have a kind word for you. Why, thank you, neighbor. Welcome to the Midwest. We just love our neighbors. Love certainly includes kindness and politeness. It's not less than that, but it is certainly more than that. It goes much further. Passive politeness without sacrificial love can be insulting and hurtful. Passive politeness minus sacrificial love can actually be insulting and hurtful in the long run. Over the last eight years, I've seen Emmanuel Anglican Church make the most remarkable sacrifices out of love for neighbor. In fact, without sacrifice, without love for neighbor, deep sacrifice, consistent sacrifice, Emmanuel Anglican, number one, would not exist. Number two, it would not be the spiritually fruitful church it has become without those personal sacrifices. You truly love your neighbor as yourself. For instance, love has taken the forms of showing up on a Saturday morning to help someone move. I've seen that a lot. Number two, bringing meals for people who have difficult medical situations or have new babies. Number three, getting up early to serve in a Sunday morning ministry sometimes for years on end. Also, giving generously to the church and giving generously to people in need. Hosting people for dinner or city groups week after week. Welcoming the immigrant and the refugee and the poor. And doing a good job of helping them get started in the city. Um, this is also a very warm and engaging church that does a great job welcoming visitors. Thank you for that. It means a lot to me. Um, so, Having said all of that, you might be surprised to hear, as I have been surprised to hear, that some people find Emmanuel a hard church to break into. Did you know that? Some people find this a very difficult church to relationally break into. I mean, like, we're so nice. How does that happen? Um, yet many have found Emmanuel to be an intimidating church with invisible walls that leave them feeling unincluded and unloved. People are so warm and friendly on Sunday mornings, but sometimes that doesn't translate into finding a, a friend group or a companionship, regular companionship outside of church that you can hang out with and enjoy. Um, I know that you don't want this. I certainly don't want this. And yet it is a reality for too many. And it's something that we need to overcome if we are to become a spiritual beacon church. So I want to do a little exercise together if you're willing. Um, it might be uncomfortable to do this exercise. I don't mean this to be insulting. I don't mean this to be uh, hurtful. Nevertheless, if you want to grow in love for neighbor, this is one opportunity to like sort of test it in real time. So get out a pen and paper, pen and pencil, if you have one. Um, and um, I'm going to list a few I'm going to list 19 characteristics, real quick. And just, if any of these characteristics apply to you, just make a little hash mark on your paper. That's all you have to do. Ready? Okay, here are the characteristics. Between the ages of 20 and 45. If that describes you, make a little hash mark. Two, owned at least two Apple products in your life. So iPhone, iPad, MacBook. If, you, if you've owned over the course of your life, life at least two, make a little hash mark. Number three, grew up in an evangelical Christian home. Okay. Number four, if you have Caucasian skin. Number five, 
you know your Enneagram number. Number six, you had two parents in the home growing up. Number seven, you enjoy biking or running. Eight, you attended college in some form or another. Uh, number nine, extra point if that was a Christian college. Number 10, extra point again if that college was Moody Bible Institute or Wheaton College. Number 11, if you attended or are attending graduate school. Number 12, if you did not grow up in the city of Chicago. Number 13, English is your first language. Okay, so, and then I'm going to list three interests. If you have any of these interests, just make a hash mark for each one. Theology, psychology, the arts. Number, uh, well, who, who knows? Uh, number 18. You have or had at one point strong interest in entering full-time ministry at some point. If you had that interest or you have that interest of entering full-time ministry. And last one, you have a Twitter handle. Okay? <laughs> so um, there's the inventory. Now look at your score if you want to. And I just want you to know this list was built around our church's subculture to some degree. Um, and they are also, this is also a really great list of things. Like, these are not bad things. These are actually good things. For what it's worth, I get a 100% as it relates to, I get a 19 out of 19 of all of those things. Um, and I, I praise God for how God will use those things in my life. So here's the point. These interests and characteristics form a powerful subculture in our church with its own inside jokes, with its own unwritten rules, and with its own zone of comfort. So if you scored higher on the quiz, um, it might be that you have a lot of friends at Emmanuel. Maybe not. Maybe you do. Um, if you scored lower on the list, I'm guessing that at some point you felt on the outside, misunderstood, left out, and not close with people. And that breaks my heart, and I am so sorry. Because whatever quiz would describe you um, is also filled with awesome and good things that we want to know more about and include. So here's what happens, I think, in our church. People get our politeness, but they don't get a party invitation. They get our welcome back, but not our Wednesday nights. We don't walk the uphill road of love with them sometimes. Sometimes we have, and sometimes we haven't. Mike Frost recently wrote a great article about friendlessness in the church, and here's what he said. Friendships are often forged in the conversations that occur when we're playing together, hanging out, attending parties, camping, hiking, picnicking, goofing off. These are the occasions where people let their guards down and share more deeply. And I think that happens in friends groups in our church, but it doesn't happen with people who don't yet have their way in to those friends groups. So if you feel at home in our church, you have a lot of power, probably more power than you know, to love and include people. Love takes those risks, love schedules, love sweats, love shows up. If you don't feel at home in our church, we want that to change. I repent as your pastor of our passivity and complacency in loving the outsider and loving people who don't go to church. 
we haven't always seen you. We haven't reciprocated your initiative. You've moved out of your comfort zone to join this church or attend this church. Would you forgive us for not moving out of our comfort zone into yours and to make you comfortable? We need you to stay, and we need you to show us how to do it. So how can we all learn, insider, outsider, or somewhere in between? Most of us feel on the outside, dirty little secret. How can we all grow in love for neighbor? Well, we look at Jesus, and we just see how he's including this scribe, someone he's not friends with, but he has margin in his life to have an impromptu conversation with someone who's spiritually inquisitive. So loving neighbor isn't this impossible list of programs. Do this, do that, do this, do that. It's actually, some, t- some cases, scaling back our commitments to make more space for the outsider, margin for the outsider in our time and in our finances. Um, for instance, I guess we're doing a biking event in a week. That's awesome. I love biking. Maybe you love biking. What if you and I invited people who don't normally go to church? And how would that change the way we joke and talk and, and include? And how would that change our frame of reference? Will I see my friends versus who can I befriend? Um, it might also involve this Thursday, if you want to practice what it means to, to sweat um, your love for Chicago, to volunteer at the Bronzeville Food Pantry. So um, actually, speaking of Bronzeville, um, one of the things uh, that I heard from my neighbor of color this year um, was after the murder of George Floyd. Um, we were marching, some of you came to the march in June, and two young men followed the march, and they actually had a message for everyone marching. It's a message that I never forgot, and they kept repeating it. This is not enough. Maybe you heard this and remember it. This is not enough. And then they said, congratulations, you got your 10,000 steps in for the day but that is not going to cut it. That is not going to bring justice. And they said, hey, guess what? You made it to the south side. You can go back to the north side or wherever you came from and tell all of your friends that you survived. But this is not enough. As it happens, as I was marching, I met a remarkable woman of God who has served our city for decades. Her name is Pastor Sandra Gillespie. Her and her husband lead Chosen Tabernacle Ministries, and they started what's called the Bread of Life Food Pantry, which addresses the way that just food insecurity makes its way into the south side. She gave me her card, and she said, we're always taking volunteers. So I'm seeing this card, and I'm hearing this chant, and I'm just wondering, is is God bringing about a new way for Emmanuel to love, to walk that uphill path? And guess what? People from Emmanuel started showing up, and they started to sweat and schedule their love in a sacrificial way. And they come back, actually, feeling greater energy and more connected to our city and more excited to go back. I'm thrilled for this partnership. Um, We also have a need for people, now that we're going to meet in a different location, to drive to uh, the north side, pick up people who need a ride, and bring them to where our new worship center will be in September. If you have interest in either one of these ways of loving neighbor, email care at emmanuelanglican.org. I should add love sweats, love schedules, love emails. Um, 
So loving our neighbor, listen, this is important. Loving our neighbor is better than being good at church. Um, Loving our neighbor is an essential part of being a spiritual beacon church, and we've got some learning to do from Jesus. I confess we have been better at collecting Christians than sending them. We've been better at talking about evangelism and justice than doing either one. And we've been more committed to keeping our comfort than we are at offering comfort to the suffering. A spiritual beacon church makes the gospel tangible, visible, and personal to the people of Chicago. And there's no better time than 2020 and beyond. Um, The gospel is hope. The gospel is light. And right now, one of the best mediums for that hope and that light is our own personal sacrifices being filled with the Holy Spirit, being filled with God's love, and then sweating it out out of love for neighbor. A spiritual beacon church is more than a building, more than Anglican liturgy and aesthetics, more than cultural literacy, more than theological depth, more than checking all the right boxes of am I doing enough. It certainly includes some of those things. A spiritual beacon church is also an active, sacrificial scheduling and sweating and embracing church. So I asked the Lord, Jesus, would you just be our gracious teacher in this, lest this become yet another thing to do? Would you actually fill us with your concrete, passionate forms of love so that our comfortable, passive forms of love begin to, begin to die away? Now I love how this ends here in verse 34. Jesus saw that the scribe had answered wisely, and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Oh, you're so close, scribe. You're really close to the way of love. You're, you're really close. The scribe could have followed him. He didn't follow him. The, the evidence is that he didn't follow him. At least it's ambiguous. Um, but Jesus kept going. Jesus wasn't far from the kingdom of God, but he kept going into it. He went to the cross. He went to the resurrection. He went to sending his spirit on Pentecost. And this scribe, this highly educated, inquisitive, sophisticated, friendly dialogue partner with Jesus, stopped. Didn't really become his disciple. But we can, we can keep going. We can follow Jesus on that uphill road learn his way of wholehearted love for God, learn how to love beyond niceness, and become a spiritual beacon church that Chicago needs to see the gospel displayed through that love. Now I want you to take a moment as we conclude to imagine with me the church that God is calling us to be. A church of disciples who have learned to love God with heart, soul, mind, strength. Can you imagine the poor being prioritized in our midst? Like watching their spiritual gifts become activated for the first time in our church. Imagine new converts being baptized and you are teaching them how to pray from the Book of Common Prayer. Imagine um, lonely people being placed in spiritual families and you are hosting that spiritual family in your own living room or your own den Imagine the presence of God palpably in prayer rooms and living rooms where vigils are kept, where the Spirit is keeping prayer alive and, and in fact, 
the time goes so quickly because we love being in God's presence. Imagine becoming known uh, as a church that throws the best dinner parties in neighborhoods all over our city. Imagine at the next protest, prayer ministers who once prayed for people at the Kiva, bringing their holy water and their oil and praying for the traumatized who have injuries, emotional or physical. I believe with all my heart that this is our future together, that we will be a spiritual beacon church that really truly makes the gospel tangible, visible, and personal, that Jesus is exalted, not only in our midst, but in our neighborhoods. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, there's the path. So lead us forward one step at a time. And let's follow him in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.